0: So if you could all do me a quick favor this morning, I would like to start with some audience participation. Uh, I would want to try a breathing exercise. Have you all ever? Has anybody ever done a breathing exercise before? Um, so this one, if you could sit up straight in your chair for me for a second. Uh, and what we'll do is we will slowly inhale through our nose for three seconds, hold that breath for three seconds, and then slowly exhale through your mouth for three seconds. You all think you can do that? Is that enough instructions? All right, let's try this. Inhale, hold, and exhale. All right, three seconds apiece. Inhale, hold it, exhale. Let's try that one more time. Inhale, hold it, exhale. So that breathing exercise is the way that I have entered prayer every time that I pray by myself for the last few years uh, since I uh, learned how to do that uh, as a part of a class that I took at seminary that was about personal spiritual development uh, one of the reasons that I found that that really works for me is that it is uh, a lot of times it it calms me it doesn't matter what's going on if the dog is nipping at my feet if Winnie is nipping at my feet uh, if there's um, any sort of clamor and commotion going on, it allows me to kind of go inward for a second. Uh, It kind of centers me, uh, and it allows me to prepare to speak to God and to listen to God uh, in a way that I sometimes uh, am unable to do without a little bit of preparation to begin with. Um, But I bring that up this morning because so often when we talk about breathing, we talk about breathing in and then breathing out, we never talk about that moment of holding the breath in the middle. We never talk about the idea of letting what we've just brought into ourselves kind of do its work before we let it back out again. Um, That moment of just peace, of calm, of anticipation. Um, So often we want to simplify the process of breathing down to just two steps. Uh, But that third step really kind of changes it, at least for me. And I mentioned that today, and I'll explain why in a minute, but today we're celebrating the Ascension of Christ. Ascension Day was actually Thursday, because like our text told us, we traditionally celebrate Ascension Day 40 days after Easter Sunday, which uh, calendars are calendars, so it always falls on a Thursday. Uh, So we don't really often have a Sunday service devoted to the Ascension. Uh, So I kind of wanted to focus on it today because I think it is one of those uh, Christian holidays that tends to get overlooked. Uh, I know I tend to overlook it. I think it's just one of those easy ones to kind of skip over. So often it becomes a footnote in the Easter story. Uh, And that's understandable, I think, uh, for it to become a footnote because when you have the, the despair of Good Friday and the jubilation and joy of Easter Sunday, it's kind of hard to contend with on some level. If you package these in three, uh, with today being the end of the Easter season, it goes with those stories. Uh, it's kind of hard to uh, to show up on the same level, right? Of the two biggest stories in the Christian experience, the, cr- the Christian tradition. But there's something about stories that ask to be told in threes. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but the Star Wars movies are some of my favorite things in the world. Those always come in threes, except these new ones that tend to, to, to skip that, and that kind of gets on my nerves. Uh, but books come in threes. There's the idea of the trilogy, that the beginning, middle, and end. The, even the fact that individual stories tend to follow a three-act structure. Uh, there's a reason that these the, the three sections to, to tell a story together, because it allows us to have a rise and a fall and a resolution. It's these, this, the way the story wants to move. But even more than all of that, the story of Jesus's time on earth doesn't end on Easter Sunday. As, we, as we've been discussing over the last few weeks, there's story after story of the resurrected Christ meeting with his disciples, meeting with the people around him. Uh, and these stories come to a close on this 40th day when Jesus ascends into heaven. And we're left asking ourselves why on some level. I know as a kid, when I first heard these Bible stories, the whole 40 days resurrected on earth and then an ascension seemed kind of like a weird way to go about things. You would expect like Jesus to show up and then immediately ascend. And that's sometimes how it's talked about. But the whole 40 days, days—that's it seems like a long layover on some level. Uh, it, Why is that even going on the way that it does? And our text today has Jesus answering that question. Both the Acts text and the Luke text answer the question in different ways. And the Luke text especially I thought was beautiful because, of course, in three pieces he answers the question kind of in a past, present, and future way to do it. So that's what we're going to look at today. Luke tells us that on that day Jesus was talking with his disciples and he told them that, As he's been telling them the whole time, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled through his life. For those keeping score at home, that is the whole of the Hebrew scriptures. That is just a fancy way to talk about their entire sacred text. Jesus is saying that the scriptures are fulfilled in his life and ministry, his death and his resurrection. He's saying that he is the ending to the scripture story. He then opens his disciples' minds up to the scripture. And I've always been curious as to whether that is a supernatural thing, like basically he allows them to understand it for the first time, or if maybe this 700th time in their time together that he's explaining this, something finally clicks, and they finally understand. However it ends up being, he opens their mind up to the whole of scripture which means that he opens up their mind to their people's entire history and the place Jesus has in it. They see the story and Jesus' place in it, and the whole picture comes into focus for the first time. It's in this moment that they realize that the books of Scripture are important exactly because it is pointed to this moment, to this man, to this Messiah. They are sacred because they point to the sacred. Jesus is the capstone and the cornerstone of the whole scripture of God. So there's a really popular TV show that ended this month. I love that one. I just kind of like zig when you think I'm going to zag. It ended after eight seasons. And the last season, this eighth season, was only six episodes instead of the normal 10, uh, and the, the, the guys who run the show said they did that because there was not enough time for them to have a whole ten season, ten episode season. Uh, but everybody watching the show has kind of criticized them for this, kind of panned them for, the, for this, because they've moved so fast through these episodes that the movement and the character arcs didn't make sense. Uh, and a lot of people said that it kind of ruined the whole show for them on some level. People acted the way that no one expected them to act. People were there that weren't supposed to be there, this whole thing. People felt that this, the show was so rushed that they had been lied, about what, lied to about what the story was ending up, the way the direction the story was going to end up going. When I was thinking about Jesus opening the disciples up to scripture like this, when they were suddenly realizing the story they'd been reading, all I could think about is how this must have been the opposite of how people have responded to this TV show. For so many of them, So many of these disciples, they understood scripture was pointing them to a new messiah, but they expected a messiah like David. They expected a warrior king coming in on a horse with a sword. They expected a king to be sitting on a throne to save them from Caesar, from Pilate. But Jesus shows them that they've been reading the story wrong this whole time. Jesus shows them that What they expected from the Messiah was completely the opposite of the arc of the story. Of course, Jesus has been telling them this for years at this point. But something, somehow in this moment, clicks. I don't know about you, but there's so much in my life that Jesus keeps hammering home to me that takes forever to click. Ultimately, the Christian walk is... A simple walk. There's not too many different steps that we have to take. Like, it is not a lot of complicated motions. We do not have to moonwalk our way through the Christian life. But something about it still continues to baffle us. It continues to baffle me, I know for sure. These kind of truths will hit me smack in the nose, and I still don't internalize them and change. Why do you think we're all so stubborn in this Christian walk? I think it's in part because it's easy to continue going with the flow. It's easy to continue riding the stream we're riding down without changing course. It's easy to continue walking with a crowd. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been uh, like maybe leaving a sporting event, uh, you know, when everybody's kind of leaving, going towards the parking lot in mass, Uh, And for some reason or another, maybe somebody's been left behind, or you forgot your purse in the chair next to you, or something, and you try to turn around. And if you ever try to walk through the people walking the other direction, how hard that is. I think sometimes the the, the Christian walk is like that, it's actually realizing and getting the strength to, to turn the other way. These disciples lived in a society that had the scriptures figured out, they understood what the text was saying. Surely we are going to receive another king. We are going to receive a Messiah who is going to come and set his captives free, who is going to come and save us from Caesar and from, all, from Herod, from all of the forces that are continuing to hold us down. So their mind opening to what the scriptures were really pointing to, their mind opening to the scriptures are pointing to Jesus, to a nonviolent Messiah who wasn't saving them from Caesar and leading them from Rome, but rather was saving them from themselves and leading them from heaven. So this leads us to their present, which I can't talk too much about because I will steal all of Alicia's thunder for Pentecost Sunday next week. If Jesus was allowing them to realize that their past was moving towards this moment, the disciples present in this moment or pre, the disciples present in this moment uh, have a realization that there is something expected of them. They have a realization that they are to do something. There is a verb attached to this for them. Jesus says repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. That is a charge. That is a commandment. That is a commission. That is a verb. That is something that they have to do. This isn't just uh, the time for them to pay attention to what Jesus is doing, but rather it is the time now for them to do it themselves. There's anticipation. There's duty. There's a calling. These baby birds are finally ready to leave the nest, to share the gospel of Christ far and wide. Well, almost ready, right? There's something missing. They have to wait because God's not done with them yet. Jesus might be leaving in this moment, but Jesus is leaving with the promise of someone coming later. God's continuing to hone them and grow them. And he's doing the same to us. May we never think that we have this figured out. May we never say, woo, this journey was great, but I'm finally ready to kick my feet back and say that I know about as much about God as I ever will. We don't get the opportunity to say that because our story next week shows us that we have to wait for the Holy Spirit, that we are continually changed. We are continually learning more of who God wants us to be and who God is in our lives. So now let's focus on the future. The disciples go out to Bethany with Jesus. And as Jesus is talking to them, offering them a blessing, which basically just means saying that he is proud of them, that he is excited about them. He is offering a benediction into their lives. Jesus ascends to the heavens. If you're like me, you've heard this joked about your entire faith journey. You've heard jokes of Jesus hitting the ejector seat button. You've heard jokes of Jesus hopping into a spaceship or flying off like Superman. But in reality, this is nothing to joke about. It is the culmination, it is the final piece of the puzzle of the gospel. The disciples thought the Messiah was going to save them from Caesar by knocking him off his throne and taking his place. But he can't do that from heaven. The Messiah is destined to a much higher throne. And that's where Jesus is headed in this moment. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father over all the earth. Jesus rules the earth in love and in justice. And that's what this story is about. Jesus was raised from the dead, yes. It's the cornerstone of our faith. It is the most important part of the Christian story. It shows that God is stronger than death, that death no longer has dominion over us. But not only was Jesus raised, Jesus also rose, rose above the dominion of the world. Not only is love stronger than death, love is stronger than all that rules our lives. I say this is about the future because so often we're taught that Jesus is sitting in heaven patiently waiting to come back and start ruling this world as he'd like to. Patiently waiting to come back and show us what the Christian life is really about. But that's not where Jesus is. Jesus isn't sitting in some celestial waiting room, sipping bad coffee and waiting for his number to come up. Jesus reigns over our world today, right now, now, and forevermore. We are living in the kingdom of God now, which means that every other kingdom, every other government and rule, every other president, every other principality and power is grasping at straws. All authority of heaven and earth is given to me, Jesus says, which means that if authority is a pie, Jesus has 100% of it. There's not a slice for any country, any kingdom, any dictator. If this is the case, what does it say about these governments we find ourselves under now? They clearly exist and they clearly impact our lives. Regarding those in the margins, they impact their lives often negatively harmfully. Some will see the ascension of Christ to mean that all of these governments are then working under the pretense of the Almighty, under the blessing of Christ. But rather, I take it to mean that they will be judged against the justice and love of Christ. Clearly, no earthly government will be appropriately loving and appropriately just The world will not look as Christ fully wants it to look yet." That's the word, isn't it? Yet, when we start talking about the kingdom of God. When we start talking about the kingdom of God, you will hear people use the phrase, now and not yet, meaning that we're in the kingdom of God now, but the full kingdom of God comes later. We have to be careful, however, when we use this language, not to let the thinking affect our work negatively. We can't let this thinking affect how we share the gospel because it's easy when we say now and not yet to say we're happy enough with the way things are in this moment and we'll let Jesus come fix the rest later. You know how kids have the, the wonderful ability to not be able to figure out how to do what you tell them to do? Has anybody had this experience? Just this morning as we were getting ready, I didn't ask Eden if I could say this. I hope she's not mad at me. But just this morning as we were getting ready, uh, the girls go to brush their teeth, and about 14 seconds later, Eden comes back in saying she had done was done brushing her teeth. And Alicia was like, there is no way you are done brushing your teeth. That takes two minutes. Go back and do it again. And she's raising her voice because we're trying to get ready to get here in time. And Eden says, you're scaring me. And Alicia says, it is my job to scare you. (laughs) But for some reason, figuring out how to make sure you brush the sides, fronts and backs of your teeth adequately is impossible for children to understand. It's impossible to me to understand I'm a 31-year-old man. But when I was a kid, I was one of those kids that had trouble figuring this out. I was terrible at cleaning my room, especially. Did y'all have this problem? Did your kids have this problem? Um, Our kids currently have this problem. Uh, I couldn't get my room as clean as my mom wanted it to be to save my life. But looking back, I probably could have. But as a kid, it seemed impossible. I knew, however, at some point, especially because my mom was my mom and it couldn't stay terrible for too long, that mom would step in and start putting things up for me. The problem, though, was realizing that actually made me worse at cleaning my room. Why should I? She's going to do it. And she'll do it better anyway. So the work is ultimately pointless. I'm really just putting effort into something that is going to be undone and fixed better later. This is the danger of thinking of the kingdom as something that God completes later. The danger is us just sitting in a messy room, not only not cleaning it, but actually making it worse because we've lost sight of the calling Jesus gave the disciples before he left them. The importance of living in the kingdom of God with an ascended Christ on the throne is that as citizens of this kingdom, we are to live as the ruler showed us to, because we will also be judged against the love and justice of Jesus Christ. To love as Jesus did, we It should shape how we interact with our families, with our peers, with our enemies, and with those the world has forgotten. This is what living in the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus is coming again, and God will clean this place up. But we're not in a waiting room. We're a preview for coming attractions, showing the world the glory that is to come. In this moment, We are in the moment of holding our breath, of anticipation. Let's join together in this anticipation while continuing the work for the beauty of God's kingdom in our lives, in our church, and in our community. Shall we pray?